Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, September 1st, day one of the U.S. Open officially in the books. We got to see 64 incredible first-round singles matches. Of course, that means we have so much to talk about here on the Mini Break Podcast. We're going to recap those matches, preview day two, talk about a little bit of news on the U.S. Open grounds as well. Obviously, Benoit Paire testing positive for COVID-19. It's something all of us as tennis fans feared might happen, some apprehension should someone test positive. Where does the tournament go from there? And obviously, we are seeing their protocols playing out now, the tournament officially underway. And again, so much great action to recap. Who did I bring on to talk about it with the man? You've all grown so accustomed to hearing as of late. You, of course, know him as our crack rackets to everything, a former Denison men's tennis great, and a man I affectionately refer to as James Foster McDonald. Jamie, how are you doing today? You enjoyed day one of the U.S. Open? Yeah, it was good. I feel like we could honestly piece together like three different pods from all of our phone conversations (laughs) yesterday, but it's good that we're here now to do it officially. Whenever we get me, you, and Matt on a phone call, it's always going to be at least 30 minutes of fun talking tennis. And unfortunately, Matt the Crack, uh, a little bit busy with his actual job, so not able to join us during the week. At least we don't think we will get him on the pod this weekend, though. I think we can promise that in advance. We'll go three wide. Give our thoughts on week one. Yeah, sounds like a deal. Yeah, I love that, and I can already hear the apprehension in your voice because obviously we have so much tennis to talk about. This really could be a seven-hour podcast. We're not going to do that. We're going to be breaking down our four favorite matches on the day in depth, running through the rest of the three-set, five-set matches on the women's and men's side, respectively. Talk about the upsets, of course, run you through the rest of the day's results, and then, as I mentioned, we'll end with a preview of day two's action. Of course, the reason we're able to do this here on the break day in day out is because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar and I'll keep things brief folks look good feel good play good Midwest Sports Aerobar Cracked Rackets. Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. I promise, folks. Rackets, strings, grips, grommets, shirts, socks, shoes, shorts. They've got it all. You can use our promo code CR15. Save a little money in your pocket. No, you can find all of that by going again to their website, MidwestSports.com. For Aerobar, it's simple. It's the only tennis energy bar, uh, tennis-specific energy bar on the market. Delicious cinnamon, honey oat, and chocolate chip flavors. And best of all, it comes with a podcast here on Cracked Rackets, getting to the point every Thursday on these mini break. Of course, we will not be doing them on the mini break podcast during the U.S. Open, but you can find those podcasts on our Cracked Interviews from last week. You can find so many great guests. We've had Jay Berger, Bjorn Fertangelo, Richard John Menzing. I mean, I can go on and on and on, folks. It's been that fun. Malavia Washington, of course, a former Wimbledon finalist. You can find all of those on our mini break or Cracked Interviews podcast feed. And again, you can go Support our friends at Aerobar by going to their website, aerobar.com, using our promo code CRCRACKED15. But with that in mind, Jamie, I know we want to get into the matches. Let's start with the news because this is obviously you know, a storyline that could transcend this U.S. Open, that could end up defining it. The news coming out, Benoit Paire testing positive for COVID-19. He's been removed from this event and players he was associated with because inevitably you're trapped in a bubble with all of these players. You're going to be hanging out. And, you know, I, I've heard rumors. I, I don't want to report exactly what I believe happened to Ben. 
Benoit because I don't have it for certain, but it does sound like Benoit was able to leave the bubble uh, inappropriately and in the midst of doing that caught COVID-19. Now, there are 10 other people in this U.S. Open bu- uh, bubble who were deemed to have been, you know, exposed to Benoit Pair. And I hate using that word because it sounds so, you know, it sounds so nefarious, but people who were just in his vicinity, uh, whether it be on a practice court or, you know, just hanging out, playing cards in his room, playing video games. There are, you know, this is something, if you're a U.S. Open planner, Jamie, right, you had to have imagined. And I think what's so not surprising, but notable in this instance, you know, yesterday, Kiki Mladenovic coming out and saying, yeah, I'm one of the players who has to isolate. All the tournaments letting me do is go to and from the tournament site, play my match, keep everything very strict. There's someone on site with me at all times. Your thoughts on, again, this news of Benoit testing positive, your thoughts on the USTA not removing the 10 other people from the event, but letting them play on. It's it's interesting, right? I mean, I think it would have been insane, insanely good, I'll add, if we went through the entire U.S. Open and there were no sort of incidents like this. Um, that would have been absolutely miraculous. So unfortunate that it's happening so early. I, I think what's weird here, and of course, I feel like Benoit Pair is kind of the perfect person if you had to guess who this was going to happen to, um, of anybody in the draw, it, in regard to the people in his close vicinity, I mean, truthfully, I don't know. I, I don't know everything the people who made the decisions knew about um, the interactions and vicinity those individuals were in with him. Um, I mean, I think you look at all the precautions, wearing masks all the way up until they're actually on court, um, all the distancing that, that's going on when they're on site in between matches, I think is good. And, and obviously those are built in to reduce that exposure um, on this chance. I, I I don't know. It feels a little dangerous having this go on, knowing that there were people um, that were in close proximity. But the fact is, if they're still testing routinely and there aren't more positive tests coming back, even for those individuals, then hopefully all will stay okay. Yeah, and according to the people I've talked to at the U.S. Open, those tests should all come back today. So we're going to get a lot of news on Tuesday. We're going to find out if any players tested positive. You know, Alex Zirev came out yesterday. I think part of the problem with this has been so much of the news we're receiving as a tennis community is coming from players sharing rumors or speculating. And there's just not a lot of announcements from the tournament. Hey, here's exactly what happened. You know, if they don't want to disclose the names for medical reason, that's, I guess, in their prerogative. But there's also a transparency issue here. How are you not going to tell all the other players? How are you not going to tell everyone? Make it clear, hey, these are the 10 people self-isolating. Hey, these. this is what we're concerned about. And also, let's just be honest. Let's be, you know, it, it's it's... Let's be intellectually honest. Let's have a real conversation here. I'm not saying you're not, Jamie, but I'm just saying to our listeners, uh, I'm not going to speculate on any names. I'm not going to throw any out there. But of the 10 people who were exposed to Benoit Pair, one of the names rumored going around was very significant, a player who is considered a contender to win the U.S. Open title. And so you know Eric Buderak, the USTA, was sitting there thinking to ourselves, man, you know, if we were to follow protocols here, 
we should remove all of these players in the name of just being, you know, a, a precautionary measure as a way to play things safe. And that's what the guidelines said. They said, look, if you're going to have to isolate for 10 days, you're going to be removed from the tournament. That's just how it's going to work. There are going to be sacrifices from all of these players because we're trying to hold a tennis event to this scale in the midst of a global pandemic. And, you know, just in the first week of the U.S. Open, those guidelines thrown out the window. So that's concerning. On the other hand, you can understand their point. Get the tests back. Find out, you know, the point of testing is to find these positives, is to be precautionary, is to be able to test and trace and root out where COVID-19 might be in this U.S. Open bubble. And yet, they're kind of just saying, you know what, we'll see if these people test positive. Until then, let's carry on. And it's, you know, I'm apprehensive about that. Yeah, it's it's a strange and not comfortable feeling. Absolutely. So um, once again, hoping that those tests come back negative. But yeah, I mean, then, you know, listen, again, we can shine light on things and and have this conversation. But it it then becomes a matter of responsibility and saying, okay, well, you know, if we're gonna have other larger tournaments hosting, how do we do things differently next time? So um, it's a little odd. And and again, hoping for the best here and hoping this doesn't blow up and and result in a lot of cases within the bubble. Um, But at, at this point, yeah, we'll see what happens when the tests come back. Yeah, and the reason we're leading the podcast with it is because, again, it's a sort of story that could take over this U.S. Open if, you know, six of these players test positive. Now it's, uh uh-oh, who were they exposed to? And, uh uh-oh, where do we go from here? And, yeah, that's how this pandemic works. It just spirals. One person gets it, then there's a cluster of 12 cases. And so it's just something for us to note. You know, we call it the biggest storylines, results, and controversies. This is absolutely one of the biggest storylines right now in the tennis world. But the storyline 1A and 1B, if this is 1A, 1B, honestly, I'm going to flip that. If this is 1B, 1A is the tennis we saw yesterday. Again, 64 first-round matches. We had, I believe, 14 women's matches go the distance, three sets, 14 out of 32. You know, that's damn near close to 50% on the men's side. We ended up seeing seven five-set matches. So, of course, a lot of great tennis. Let's get into our breakdowns and the match we have to start with the match that kicked off play yesterday stay at yesterday's day one of the u.s open a match that went five sets a match that we had action on here at our on our gsp ace of the day and i will come out and say it i had action on personally and it caused me and max rothman almost i'm not going to say end our friendship because that would just be a lie but things certainly got testy and that's because cam nori fights off two match points and knocked off number nine seed diego schwartzman three Six four six six two six one seven five in a match that saw so many back and forths. Jamie, before we get into the stats, just your initial reaction to this result. Very unexpected, um, and, and I say that both as my expectations were pretty set prior to the match, but then also as I was watching this match. Just it, it was very weird to watch because I thought Schwartzman had this in the bag. Not only did I think that prior to them taking the court, I thought that through the first, through the second, um, even after the third, I thought it was absolutely going to rebound. And then after the fourth, um, I was kind of like, oh, this is weird. Then he gets things settled in the fifth and he looks like he's just going to have a solid route to win the match. Um, Ultimately, Nori fights back. So this one, I really didn't think Schwartzman was going to lose until the very, very end of the match was over. Yeah, I mean, Look, you look at this match, and I want to start out, as always, uh, by giving credit. I feel like I do this once a year, but 
how the other slams, how any other tournament doesn't live up to the hype of the U.S. Open in terms of what they can do from a stats standpoint on their website. It's 2020. It feels like it should be easy for these slams to have access to how many net points happened, how many winners, how many unforced errors there were, what was the distance covered. And the U.S. Open seems to do it better than any other event, so shout out to them. But, Jamie, you look at the stats in this match, two things stand out. 58 break points in this one. I cannot recall another match in my lifetime where I saw 58 break points. Nevertheless, that's what we saw here. The second thing, 146 unforced errors. Those numbers jump out to you, Jamie, and it's indicative of how close this match was, not just at a you know macro level, but on a point-by-point basis. The patience Cam Norrie showed in this one. The fact that, look, those first two sets, things weren't firing great for him. The backhand wasn't exactly work and the backhand return kept finding the net and what's so interesting about Cam Nori his backhand's essentially a block it's very flat condensed backswing he's just guiding that ball into the court although he did do a good job of taking that ball down the line opening up forehands for himself but then the forehand is just it's so topspin heavy, and he just went after that ball. He got Schwartzman stretched to the outer thirds. He was comfortable moving forward. I know 20 of 39 at the net doesn't pop, but he had to be aggressive. He had to put a little bit of pressure on Schwartzman, who in this match, 31 winners against 81 unforced errors for Schwartzman versus 39 winners, 65 unforced errors for Cam Norrie. I mean, you know, even beyond him fighting off match points, it's just the way he stayed so steady, the way he stayed so patient. This was, in my opinion, uh, the arguably the best performance of the young player's career. Yeah, I mean, this was this was very impressive. Not only, as you mentioned, getting into that point-by-point basis, the fact that he was in Schwartzman service games the entire match. But, I mean, for me, I mean, just the strong mental game we saw from him being able to get over the hump and, and get through a match like this. I mean, now he can go through and say, hey, look what I did down two sets to love against the nine seed in a U.S. Open. I mean, that's a huge that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, it's a major confidence boost, and, you know, to double down on it, he fought off two match points, and in just a beautiful piece of gamesmanship from Diego Schwartzman, the sort of gamesmanship you go, oh, after five and a half months, I've missed seeing someone do this. 4-3, Diego Schwartzman breaks Cam Norrie, and that second set was a whirlwind. Schwartzman goes up a break one love, he goes down serve, you know, 2-1, he finally holds serve for the first time in about eight games for two all, then they're trading breaks back and forth, Schwartzman takes a break lead 4-3, he takes an injury timeout, he gets the left hand looked at, maybe had it taped a though I don't even know if he did. And then he goes out and he holds serve fairly comfortably for 5-3. And at that point, you're thinking, okay, Schwartzman, top 10 player, a little bit of gamesmanship. He's found his rhythm. He's going to win this match now. Earns a match point opportunity on the Cam Nori serve. Uh, Nori ends up holding. Fine. Schwartzman gets to serve out 4-5-4. Earns another match point opportunity on his surface game. But again, this was the persistence. This was the perseverance for Cam Norrie in this match. He, he, He just stayed solid. He didn't try and rip a winner on a match point. He just kept working these 10, 15 ball rallies. This match was just so physical. Both of these players, in terms of distance covered, they're over three miles. And when you're sprinting over three miles in a match, that's about as physical as it can get, folks. And Cam Norrie held up. Just Diego Schwartzman wasn't able to hurt him in this match. And that was a little bit surprising because through those first two sets, you thought the way 
way he took things early, the way he took time away from Cam Norrie. You know, Diego Schwartzman looked like he was very much in this match, and obviously he had two match points. So in a sense, he he really could. It's not even a sense. He had opportunities to straight up win this match, not just like, oh, he came close. No, two match point opportunities, and yet Cam Norrie stayed patient, was just so impressive in this match. But let's do the flip side quickly for Schwartzman. How disappointing is this loss, Jamie? Yeah, I mean, this one's got to hurt, right? I mean, I think when you look at it, he can look at the stat sheet. He can look at how he felt during the match, and he knew that this wasn't his cleanest performance. But despite all of that, I mean, look at his fighting mentality, the things he's been able to do on the tour for, you know, a long time now, many, many years, is get through matches and grind through them. And so you, you got to feel like there's a lot of disappointment in himself for the inability to get through this one at the end of the day. It was the, one of the highlights, I will say, about this tournament having no fans is so many of the players stick around on site. They go watch matches, and right after this match, Zverev was playing Anderson, and you can see a shirtless Schwartzman sitting in the crowd and just looking so disappointed in himself, looking like, man, like I really blew that one. And the way he tanked that final service game goes down love 40 at 5-6 and then slapped a couple of winners for 30-40, but just a sloppy forehand in the net to end thing. That wasn't the Diego Schwartzman you're used to seeing, and the blowing two match points got to him. So, you know, obviously disappointing for Schwartzman, who I think it's his first first round loss at a major since 2017. Uh, but a big takeaway here, credit to Cam Norrie, who again, it's a fascinating win. It's a really good one for his career, and it's fascinating because now that section of the draw obviously wide open, and so uh, it's something for all of us. It was, it was just a really fun way to kick off the day. Again, for me, it was a heart attack. I thought Max Rothman was going to turn on me permanently. He was like, we always do your picks. We never do your mine. And I was like, dude, you agreed with me. Whatever. We litigated it on the GSP Ace of the Day, which all of you can go listen to to hear our picks for day two. Uh, nevertheless, this was the only match individually on the day that we picked incorrectly. And that's a credit to Cam Nord, the performance he put together. Another match that had me nervous, Jamie. Uh, another match you know I felt a heavy vested interest in because I've been so high on this player of late, Annette Conteve, who had a really tricky first-round matchup, the number 14 seed taking on a former Australian Open semifinalist and always dangerous Danielle Collins. And Collins took the first set in this match. It was a really high level of play, 7-5, but credit to Annette Conteve. And when you're confident, you can drop close first sets, bounce back, compete well, bring, you know, step up your level of play. That's a sign of a player playing well. That's a sign of a player in command of their game. And that's what Conteve was able to do today. 5-7-6-2-6-2 over Danielle Collins. Jamie, what'd you think about this win? I mean, yeah, a great win for her. I mean, I think it's a pretty solid way to start off the Open. I mean, I think ideally this is just a clean, easier match. But honestly, I think there's something to the fact that you drop a first set tight and then get through it, bounce back, um, and then win convincingly. I mean, for me, though, the story, at least in set one, is Danielle Collins played some great tennis. I mean, she a clean performance, 18 winners to 11 unforced errors in the first set alone. She just looked good. She was confident in her game. And, and Conteve, I mean, look, yeah, there's some things you could say about her but honestly it, the first set wasn't really about her now her flipping the script and winning you know only dropping four more games after the first set that's all her and that's a credit to her and look we know we've been following her for a while now and one of the reasons you're so high on her is her ability to get through matches and I mean I think 
a match like this should give her great confidence and feeling good throughout the rest of the tournament because I think you and I both have her going fairly deep. Yeah, absolutely. And if Naomi Osaka is going to be played with hamstring injuries, it's an upset chance because Conteve almost beat her in the Western Southern, and we saw how well Osaka had to play to win that match. I think you nailed it there. For Danielle Collins, that first set was just the Danielle Collins every player on the WTA Tour is afraid of because in the match, 35 winners to uh, 32 unforced errors in total. You know, in that first set, she hit 18 of those 35 winners. She only made 11 of her eventual, you know, 32 unforced errors, but she served at a higher clip. She made 60% of her first serves for the match was at 70% in that first set. She won uh, 44% of her second serve points for the match. She was 55% in that set. Uh, It was just, a, as you mentioned, it was the sort of Danielle Collins who can just beat any player in any given set on tour. But to Annette Conteve's credit and Annette Conteve in this match, you know, 36 of 46 on first serve points, 20 of 36 on second serve points, saved five of the eight break, uh, saved, excuse me, two of the four break points she faced. Uh, What was so impressive is just how steady she stayed is that she didn't try to out slap Collins she didn't try to just take the ball off Collins rackets and hit winners instead she stayed solid she did a really good job of changing direction and her ability to go down the line off of both wings it might be her single best skill now I really enjoy her forehand on the run as well I think she can really open up angles for herself with that shot defensively but you know she was steady in set number one, 12 winners against eight unforced errors. Yeah, Collins was better, but Conteve was steady. And then the next two sets, she stepped up her game. 13 winners, one for unforced error in set number two. And then just a solid five winner to five unforced errors, set three. Collins, though, in that set, 10 winners against 13 unforced errors. All match long, Conteve used her return, particularly her second serve return, to take control of points. And as you mentioned, Jamie, this is exactly the sort of win you want early on in a major, right? You get tested, your level improves throughout the match, you ultimately advance over a really tough opponent. This is exactly the start you'd want to see from an Annette Conteve. Yeah, she's got to be feeling great right now. Um, I think, obviously, she's got the day off. Feeling pretty good about this win. You know, as you mentioned, you have the confidence knowing that you got through a tougher match. And, and from here, it's a little bit better because you know, you're know you not going through just wondering if you're actually playing at a high level. No, this pretty much shows it. You were able to flip the script and get through a match. And yeah, well, we've said it a million times, but yeah, she's got to be feeling good now. Yeah, I mean, the one thing she probably wants to improve that first serve percentage. 56% needs to be a little bit higher than that if you want to beat a Naomi Osaka. But, you know, 56% on your second serve percentage, people joke around. It's the most important stat in tennis. She was solid on the second serve. She didn't immediately cede control of the point. Although, in that first set, obviously, she was 8 of 19 on second serve points. That's how Collins was able to take the set. And it's a, it's a little thing to note because Naomi Osaka can attack on on every return, that first serve percentage needs to be higher. But yeah, I mean, for Annette Conteve, you're just you're happy you advanced to round two, and now you're starting to feel confident. It's quite clear her level of play. You know, quarterfinalist in Australia, quarterfinalist at the Western Southern, finalist in Palermo to start August. She's playing her best tennis in 2020, and I think I speak for all of us when I say we're really excited to see what she can do the rest of this tournament. Hopefully, we eventually get the Osaka Conteve rematch. All of us deserve 
serve what I personally, and of course it's egocentric, but welcome to the Great Shot Pod or the Mini Break Podcast, folks, did not deserve was to be forced to have to see two of my favorite uh, dark horse candidates heading into this event. Marie Buzkova, Jessica Pagula, forced to play first round. It was one of the nightcap matches uh, on day one, and it delivered everything I could have asked for and more. A back and forth three set affair that was settled in a third set breaker. Jessica Pagula ultimately three Six six two seven six to survive against young Russian Marie Buzkova advance to the second round. Jamie, I have a lot of thoughts in this match, but I want to let you go first. Your thoughts on Pagula coming back and getting over the hump here? Yeah, I think, listen, this was exactly what we expected. Um, I mean, we knew this was going to be a battle going in. I mean, you and I talked about this on multiple podcasts, um, and we'll continue to moving forward because, you know, we think very highly of these two and their games. But we knew this was going to be a difficult match. Whoever won was going to have to earn it, and boy, did Pegula have to earn it because it was dicey. I mean, this thing was back and forth all the way through the third set. Pegula was having trouble. I mean, Buskova was in her service games, looked like Pegula was going to get broken again, and Buskova was going to take it, gets it to the breaker, and ultimately Pegula just has a good start and the breaker to get her through this one. But, I mean, truthfully, either one of these players could have won this match, and I would still feel great about the winner moving through the tournament because we've seen the level of tennis from them. It's been so good. So hopefully, you know, this nearly three-hour affair doesn't take anything out of Pegula and she can continue to be a danger in the draw. Um, but generally speaking, yeah, this match absolutely delivered. Yeah, it was the contrast of styles that I was so excited for. Pagula, an aggressive baseliner. She wants to hit big, drive that ball through the court, move forward. And in this match, you know, she did go 15 of 32 at the net. And I think that is a testament to just how good defensively Marie Buzkova is. She's always going to track down that extra ball. She's going to be able to hit, you know, play a little bit of offense from defensive positions of the court. She just... She's just a scrapper. She really just is a death by a thousand paper cuts. I know I say that all the time, but she makes that extra ball. She asks every question of her opponent, makes life so difficult for them. And the number that sticks out to me in this one, Jamie, for both players in this match, you know, uh, Pagula won 48% of her receiving points. Buzkova won 45% of her receiving points. Every game, every point of this match was an either or. And that made it so exciting, so competitively thrilling. You could tell it was two confident players. Uh, Buzkova won that first set. There was no doubt. There was no hesitation. There was no wavering from Jessica Pegula. She's like, all right, I guess I have to win this one in three sets. And, you know, physically, she was able to get over the hump in this one. And this was a physically grueling match. But for Pegula, what stood out is that she was just, she had weapons at her disposal. And right now, she's confident enough over the course of a three-hour match, which is what this was, to take chances. In this one, 37 winners for Pegula against 36 unforced errors for Buzkova, 25 winners against 37 unforced errors. I thought Pagula had the slightly bigger first serve, which won her those, you know, rare free points that maybe decided a match with the margins this thin, but ultimately what it came down to was a third set breaker, and for both of these players, they're extraordinarily confident right now, but because Pagula had that combination of both confidence and and weapons at her disposal. That's how she got over the hump in this one. That's why she was able to knock off Pegula because, or to knock off Buzkova because you just see a player so confident in her own game. And I mean, tennis—that confidence is the name of the game. 
Are you talking it cut out? Yours cut out. Yeah, sorry. I said confidence is the name of the game for okay. Pidula. Your your like your audio just stopped coming through. Confidence name game. Okay. All right, I'm going to give you three seconds, and I'm going to yep. start. You're good. Yeah, absolutely. Pegula gets through this one. You nailed it right on the head. She is confident in her game, and again, that's something that we both have seen, something that makes us both confident in her ability to really shake things up in her portion of the draw. Yeah, and I'm so sad for Marie Buzkova because Marie Buzkova belongs in the second round. She should still be part of the conversation of this U.S. Open, and she played well. I know, you know, minus 12 winner unforced error, but she was playing defense. She was surviving against Jessica Pegula, who's taking you corner to corner, baseline, you know, on the baseline. And, you know, for Buzkova, sneaky amount of credit here, 22 of 34 at the net for her. She did a good job of capitalizing and getting Pegula stretched when she could, but, yeah, credit to Jessica Pegula. This was a really high-level match between two players who legitimately, you're looking at the draw, and so I, I mentioned this at the top, Jamie, 14 of these matches uh, on the women's side go the distance. All of these players, it's either or for so many of these matchups, and so much of it is going to come down to confidence. For me, Pegula getting through this, that was check mark number one. She passed the first test. And I know, you know, for Jessica Pegula, there's a lot of tennis left to be played. And in her next match, I think she's got a favorable matchup after Rebecca Peterson gets knocked off against Kirsten Flipkins. I think eventually she would run into Kvitova round three, but after round one, Pegula to the second week. You feeling confident in it? Because I am. Yeah, it's a certain possibility. This is the reason that we said the winner of this has a good chance, not only because of the level they've displayed, but also because this section of the draw. I don't have any reason to believe that she couldn't win a match like that, even if she ends up going up against the sixth seed Kvitova. Yeah, I, I just think Jessica Pegula continues to get better and better in her young career. And so this was an outstanding win for her to get over the hump there. Um, and it's going to be really exciting to see how she bounces back in the second round as well. And again, credit to Buzkova, who is clearly one of the young players on the WTA Tour to watch closely. A player you and I have watched closely, Jamie, perhaps too much to our chagrin over these past, what, seven years on the ATP Tour, Jack Sock. And we don't have to relitigate Sock's past two years. Needless to say, they have been, as we say in Yiddish, Nishkit, not very good. Nevertheless, he's coming off of a really good world team tennis season where it wasn't just doubles, but he was one of the you know three best players along with Sandgren and maybe Nakashima during the world team tennis season in singles. He he was a guy who clearly, clearly for the first time in quite a bit of time has taken his fitness seriously, has gotten in shape, looks ready to come back out on tour and perform well. And in my opinion, the biggest win of his career in the past two years, he knocks off Cuevas 3-6-6-4-6-2-4-6-7-6 to advance to the second round. There's only one place you can start this breakdown, Jamie. Jack Sock, fifth set. It's an absolute battle. And both of these guys playing smart tactical matches, both physically engaged in this one through the fifth. Sock goes down love 30 in the three-all game. And how many times in the past two years have we seen Jack, uh, Jack Sock three-all love 30, whether it's a third set, a fifth set, and then he just tanks the rest of the match. He goes up, I came close, whatever. It's just not working for me today. Jack Sock holds for 4-3 in that scenario. Cuevas then holds easily for 4-all. Sock gets broken at love 
to go down 5-4. So now you have a Cuevas serving for the match at 5-4. Cuevas races out to a 30-love lead. And if you think 3-all of 30 is where Sock has tanked matches over these past two years, we all know. Jack Sock down 5-4, 30-love. He's not winning that match. You can write it off. Gruskin, Max, Rothman, stupid on you to put money on a Sock admin parlay. Why would you ever do that? And then Jack Sock... I don't know what happened. I don't know what place he went to mentally, but he found a way. He ends up breaking 4-5-all. He takes this match 7-6 in the fifth set over Cuevas. I could not be more impressed with Jack Sock's performance. What did you think, Jamie? Yeah, I mean, look, you you said a lot there, and and some of it, I feel like, look, we've seen things from Jack Sock that none of us have necessarily liked. I think in my mind, I think that he got some bad breaks and people were probably too harsh on him. No, he probably wasn't in the best shape. Yes, you know, sometimes it looked like he got a little lazy out there on court with his tactics, just trying to slap the forehand and that's it. But so much of this for me, I mean, first of all, let's let's take this as a match. He ended the match with more winners than unforced errors, which to me is just surprising that that is something that I see from Jack Sock. And that to me is very, very impressive in and of itself, outside of the fact that he got down a set and decided, you know what, not this time. I'm going to come back and I'm going to win this thing. And he rattles off two great sets in sets two and three. And look, we can talk about the Cuevas side a little bit more because I don't want to make this only about Jack Sock. But I mean, for me, you mentioned the, the sort of trials and tribulations he went through in this fifth set. Once he got to that breaker, I mean, I was feeling very good. His backhand looked solid throughout the match. His forehand was doing what his forehand always does. He was winning a good amount of um, a good amount of points on his serve. It was reliable throughout the match. Sure, he had some double faults in ill-timed places, but ultimately, a good performance from Jack Sock. And more important than any of the tennis for me, it's just got to be the mental aspect here of you just got through a five-set match against somebody who was serving for it against you regardless of what happened throughout the rest of the match you got through and you won and and that to me just has to speak volumes at this point in his career yeah it, it's twofold for jack one it's it's the physical fact that he held up for five sets of tennis he looked uh, for a guy who as you mentioned uh, you want to say he wasn't in the best shape that's your prerogative you want to also acknowledge that he struggled with a ton of injuries these past two years that's also part of this equation And none of that mattered in this match, and that's the singular most encouraging thing is that physically he looks like he is ready to compete once again. Mentally, that's the second part of this equation, and you nailed it. He was down two points away from losing, and he came back and, you know— just to see the Jack Sock brain at work in this match. Yeah, 58% on the first serve, you'd like a little bit more, but he was 66 of 84 on those points. He was 25 of 38 at the net. As you mentioned, 51 inners, winners against 49 unforced errors. Cuevas with a one-handed backhand. It's a perfect matchup for Jack Sock on these courts. Hit big serves to that backhand, set up plus one forehands, go inside out, inside out with that forehand until you open up enough space to rip one inside in, you know, on the side and Jack Sock, that was the pattern for him. He played a really smart match. He played two loose service games. The entire match was broken during those two loose service games in the first and fourth sets. And that's a credit to Pablo Cuevas, who in this match, you know, against Jack Sock, you want to keep things simple, play high percentage tennis, make the match physical. Cuevas did all of that, made 67% of his first serves, won 75% of those points, 43 winners against 32 unforced errors, just did a lot 
to make the extra ball, to play to big targets, to put pressure on Jack Sock. But the reason why Jack Sock's the story in this one is because you're right. The backhand held up. He made a lot of returns. He he just competed so well. And I, maybe we're, you know, it's grading on a curve to say, and that's all we're looking for. But, you know, this was a big win for him. Yeah, this is a huge win for him. And, and we can talk about the backhand in a little bit more detail, at least for a bit. Because for me, look, somebody, everyone knows Jack Sock's game, right? Everyone knows it. It's got the huge forehand that's an absolute weapon from anywhere on the court. The backhand is where you target. Um, and, you know, it, it's something that he's absolutely been working on. You know, whether you're just talking to anybody on tour, whether you're watching some Instagram stories of him and his practices, he has been working on that backhand hard because he knows that that's what people are going to try and pick on. And is he, is he ever going to get into his point where his career, where his backhand is phenomenal? No. I I mean, we're just, we're just never going to see that, but what we are going to see, at least I think is a backhand that's solid enough to hold up and able to build a point, whether he slices it to, you know, give the off pace to give himself time to run around it and hit a forehand for the next shot. I mean, listen, he only hits two more unforced errors on the backhand side than the forehand side. Now, granted, of course, you know, you're going to have a ton more forehand winners. But given what we've seen from his game and given how people have been able to pick on the backhand, this was really impressive to me because it did hold up um, both just generally in average rally balls and also under pressure. I mean, look, I've talked plenty about Jack Sock over the years, so I I think everything, you kind of nailed it there. It was just a really good performance, and for him now, second round, he's going to face Manorino, which, again, a lefty, not the toughest test. He's not going to blow Jack's off the court, but how will Jack's body respond after this five-set battle? How will any of these players' body respond after a five-set battle? Uh, That's certainly something for us to monitor, and again, for Pablo Cuevas at this point in his career, I think he's 34. You know, get that first round check, get that money, but for Jack Sock, a much needed win for him as he tries to right the ship and, you know, get things back going the way we all know he's uh, playing the way he's capable of uh, back on tour. But those are our match breakdowns. And again, we could spend you know, 45 more minutes breaking down each and every one of these outstanding matches that we saw on day one. We are going to run through the rest of the results, so let's do that now. In terms of upsets, yeah, Diego Schwartzman fell, but only four seeds knocked off on the day, Jamie. And, you know, for Rebecca Pedersen, the number 32 seed on the women's side, you're the 32 seed. Her, she loses straight sets to Flipkins. Um, you know, 32 seed losing, never that surprising. On the men's side, we saw two upsets as well. Gerasimov uh, over Dusan the Deuce Lajevic in four sets. A match I honestly should have been bolder on in predicting, but I just wasn't that confident in the Deuce heading into this one. And then Steve Johnson, who had won four in a row against John Isner heading into this matchup, make it five in a row as he takes a 6-7-6-3-6-7-6-3-7-6 win. Any of those upsets shock you, Jamie? No, not not too much. I mean, you got to expect a little bit more from the deuce, I think, here. Um, going out in four sets, a little bit unfortunate, but it is what it is. The Steve Johnson-Isner match, I mean, I think anyone sort of looked at that and said it could go either way. Um, I know, look, you look at the scoreline, what, three of the sets end in breakers. It's like, yep, okay, that sounds about right. And Stevie Johnson ends up coming with coming up with some big points in that fifth set breaker. And, you know, as you mentioned, he's had his number as of late, so good for him. Yeah, I mean, 
We don't need to break down a John Isner net match because you know what there were. There were tiebreakers. There were big serves. There were missed returns. That's what we saw uh, for Stevie. Yeah, he just played confident in the biggest moments. He was the guy who served, didn't get broken the entire match. That's a really good win for Steve Johnson. And and again, there were a bunch of other really good matches. Twelve other three setters on the day on the women's side. Five other five setters on the men's side. You look at the seeds who got tested in three sets. Naomi Osaka, Petra Martic, Diane. Anna Yastremska, Magda Lynette, and then, of course, number 31 seeded Sevastova. All pushed the distance. Sevastova, a three-set win over Coco Goff for Naomi Osaka. She was, you know, a dangerous performance, but she did end up looking healthier than expected. You know, she passed all the check marks to me. She was down 5-2 in that second set and then ended up coming back 4-5-all uh, before losing the set. But I thought looked pretty good. Any of those seeds going to three shock you at all? I mean, I think a lot of us were a little surprised by the Osaka second set, right? Take losing that one, but again, she sort of calms, you know, she calms it all down. She gets it back and wins the third six-two. So again, no terrible worries there. I mean, I probably think that if Osaka's really at her best and in peak form, that's a straight set win, and it's not close. But the fact that she, you know, snaps back from the five-seven and wins it six-two in the third is, you know, hopefully getting rid of most of my concerns. Yeah, and I mean, on one other, I think you nailed that one on the Coco Golf note. She's 16 years old. Like, yeah. she's gonna, she's playing a seed at a slam. Patience, people. Patience. You cannot overreact to a loss like this. I don't think anyone is, but I'm just saying, don't overreact because it's not worth it. Again, 16 years old. Sevastova played a good match. Uh, some of the other three-setters we saw on the women's side, just quickly. Georgie, Sasnovich, Lapko, Bondarenko, Lee... Bellis, Kovinic, all getting over the hump in the end. That uh, Georgie Van Utvenik match was one of the nightcaps, and it was a really fun one. So, you know, hopefully if you if you want to go check the highlights, that might be one to catch. But any other of those three-set matches shock you, Jamie? Uh, not shock me. I'd say the one I would mention just briefly is Bellis. Um, obviously having a really close first set there, dropping it in the tiebreak, but then only dropping five games for the rest of the match. She looks to be in good form. Yeah, you know who else is in good form? Anne Lee, the young American who just, that was a really good win for her over Ruth, 6-4-2-6-6-1. That's a really, really good win. So credit to her. Uh, On the men's side, the five-set matches, Jamie. Christian Guerin overcoming a two-sets-to-love deficit to beat talented young American Ulysses Blanche. Uh, Karina Busta survived in uh, five sets as well. And then Giron, Davidovich, Fokina, Coria, excuse me, all five-set winners. Your thoughts on those? Those five set battles. Yeah, I think the one that we're probably both a little sad about is the first one you mentioned, Christian Guerin, um, the 13 seed, ultimately coming out of it, winning 6-2 in the fifth. Ulysses Blanche had his chances in this match, goes up two sets to love. Um, you know, you hope he's going to pull this off in straight sets. Not surprising that Guerin, the 13 seed, gets one. You hope he's going to get it back in four. Doesn't happen. Then toward the fifth set, I mean, Guerin was just in great form, wasn't giving Ulysses Blanche anything to work with. And, you know, good for Christian Guerin, right? I, I think. You know, we talked about this. We're wondering if he's going to be a force on any other surface than clay. A win like this is at least sort of a step in the right direction for him. Um, ultimately, yes, disappointing for Ulysses Blanche, but good for Christian Guerin to pull it out. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And look, yeah, I've said this before. Ulysses Blanche, the serve, the forehand, you're going to watch him for 10 minutes. And you're going to be like, whoa, 
did you see that? And, uh, and then I will say to you, yeah, I have seen that, and it's ridiculous. The upside is just so evident, and what he has to take away from this two out of three set match, he won. He just beat a top 20 player, and that's a really good performance for him. Hopefully, he can find the silver lining there. But yeah, as you mentioned, Christian Guerin has not looked that great on these hard courts, but a win's a win, and you have to give him credit there. Kareno Busta has got to be licking his chops saying, thank God I got over the hump there because now in my section, there's no longer a John Isner, so I really should make the fourth round. For Marcos Giron, all of the health problems he had, awesome to see him in the winner's circle. And then Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. I just want to say this. There are players who are spazzy on court, right, who are chirping with their box, who are always moving their feet, who just seem to be everywhere. Davidovich Fokina is spazzy in all of the right sorts of ways, and I really enjoyed watching that match. Boy can compete. Boys are going to make that extra ball. Really, really good performance from him. Let's look quickly now, again, at everything else, and we're not going to name every winner because uh, it's just going to be difficult to do, but there were 17 other straight set matches. The seeds who advanced, Pliskova, Kvitova, Vondrusova, Rybakina, Risk, Kerber, Putin, Seva, Brady, and Mladenovic, some of the other notable ones. Garcia advancing. I think she can play well. We've talked about Shelby Rogers. She got another win, too. Jamie, who is your most impressive performer today on the women's side? So many to choose from. I mean, I think for me, look, it, it wasn't like she was up against the hardest of opponents, Shelby Rogers, but coming out of a win 6-2, 6-2 regardless, just gives, sets the tone, especially when I have her um, going through the draw and coming up with a second round upset. That's the sort of performance I want to see. Um, the other one I would say is Kerber. It was nice to just see her out on the court mm-hmm. again. So getting a straight set win um, is good enough for me right now. Do I have a ton of confidence in her moving through the draw? Not necessarily, but it's good to know that she can be out there and get a straight set win and and move on fairly cleanly. To that note, and by the way, two really good picks. I'm glad you mentioned them. Uh, it's similar to Kerber, Von Drusova, the 12 seed. She's healthy. She showed that, and that was a really good win for her over Minin. Rybakina, who lost first round to Ekaterina Alexandrova. We've talked about her so much the first three months of the season. I don't have to remind you, Jamie, uh, but that was a really good win for her to just get her bearings set, you know, start working her way forward. And after the way Diana Yastremska looked, I mean, Rybakina has really got an inside draw to the, to the fourth round which would be really impressive for her. And then the last one I just think I have to mention, Karolina Pliskova, who 4-3 down to Kalanina, was down 15-40 on her serve, and then ripped off nine straight games, ripped off just... The best tennis I've seen from her in 2020, and that includes at the beginning of the year. And now that I've seen this Karolina Pliskova, it's a whole new element to this Grand Slam if she's going to play this level. Yeah, she's got to be feeling really good coming out of that match. That's exactly what you want. Again, we mentioned it earlier on with some of the other uh, women's matches, right? You get tested earlier in a match, and then you end on, on a very good note, and that's exactly what she did. Yeah, absolutely. Well, then let's flip over to the men's side. Some of your winners, Djokovic, Tsitsipas, Zverev, Goffin, all good match wins for them. For Zverev and Goffin, four set wins over Anderson, Opelka, respectively. Shapovala, Fritz, Hercots, Krajinovic, Chorich, Struff, Manorino, all seeds that advanced on the day. Some of the other notable ones, Nakashima, a straight set winner. Kyle Edmund, really tricky four set win for him over the boob. By the way, for Americans on the day, wins from Michael Moe, Mitchell. Kruger, Max Cressy as well, only Ty Kwiatkowski and Isner. Uh, I believe Kwiatkowski, Isner, Opelka, the only American men to lose on the day. Jamie, give me your most impressive men, male performers. 
Yeah, I mean, for me, I think one we got to mention is Michael Mo because mm-hmm. you know we don't really know what was we didn't really know what was going to happen, or at least I didn't know even what to expect when I got into this match. But when I saw the draw break, I mean, he's playing against Salsa. He knows that he's going to have to go up against somebody who can grind, who can make a million balls. And so the ability for him to go out and pose his game and play it correctly and win this, not even having to go the distance, is really, really impressive to me. You know, you see a bit of a drop in that third set, but does that bother him? Nope. He comes back out and wins the fourth 6-1. So that was a great one for me to see. Chorich, was, it was good for him to bounce back. I'm always curious to see how Borna Chorich is playing. He had a tough, pretty tight first set with Andujar. There were some breaks that went back and forth, but he steadies the ship and wins only only, or excuse me, loses only four games in the second and third sets combined. The other one, I think, I know you mentioned it a bit. You got to talk about Alex Verov um, because he was dealt a really tough hand in a Kevin Anderson first round draw, um, and he just looked incredible. Um, look, he 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 wasn't perfect throughout the match, but he did almost everything right. And look. For him not to be bothered by the nerves in this one, I mean, sure, there's not the crowd and there's a lot of elements you take out here, but generally speaking, he just played a great match. And Kevin Anderson, you know, for all the things that he can do, for all the ways that he can impose his game and overpower players, Zverev simply just didn't let that get to him, um, even when Anderson came up with a huge serve, huge forehand. Um, and so great to see that from Zverev. And you got to think, if Zverev can play at that level against Kevin Anderson, you know, really sky's the limit for him in this draw. Can I just say it is always a good start to my morning when I don't have to be the one complimenting Alex Zverev? Great, great. Yeah, that was a surprise, Jamie. I appreciate that. <laughs> hey, I'm not <laughs> anti-Alex Zverev. <laughs> well, can I just say this was part of the conversation you and I had uh, with Matt Stokowiak last night. Um, yeah, I mean, this Alex Zverev— it, it, or I, maybe this was a conversation I had with Stokowiak separately, but there are still— at least three times a match for Alex Virup where there will be these five-minute stretches where you're just like, this guy could be the best player tennis has ever seen. And I, Stokowiak agreed with that. Is that a fair assessment? Are there times still in every Alex Virup match where you just go, oh my god? Yeah, I mean, look, he's he has the firepower. He has really clean ground strokes. I mean, particularly on the backhand side, you got. I mean, you look, you you watch him rip a backhand winner cross court, and you're like, holy! I mean, this guy's the second coming of Jesus, right? Um, but unfortunately, it doesn't really always hold like that. And so, you know, the closer he can get to that top Zverev level and sustain that level, the, I mean, obviously, the better um, for him. Honestly, throughout this tournament, it's just going to be not allowing his game to go the absolute opposite way, right? This Zverev who's double faulting three times in a single game. This Zverev who is whining and looking up at the stars thinking, you know, what's going on? Missing backhands left and right, you know, getting picked on, run around, allowing himself to be 10 feet behind the baseline, just getting bullied on court. That Alex Zverev cannot show up in this tournament. Yeah, I I think that's completely fair. And, you know, again, because it was Zverev Anderson, that's why they got the additional breakdown there. It was a really good win. He was tested in round one. A lot of people had that on upset alert. Unofficial stat, Turnitopia, 38% of brackets had Anderson over Zverev. That's high for a top five seed. By the way, I made that up. But it sounded believable, didn't it, Jamie? (laughs) If I told you It could have been higher. Yeah, it honestly could have been higher. But the point is, that was a really good win for Alex Zverev. Really good win for David Goffin. Opelka did not come out with knee tape. He was struggling physically, but that's a great win for Goffin. 
On paper, the win for Fritz over Kopfer should be routine, but given the way Fritz was competing in that first set for him to flip the script, I was really impressed with that. Nakashima in straight sets, that guy has probably played his last challenge. Well, he's going to play challengers just out of point necessity, but that guy is ready to play ATP 250 level and up events. For Kyle Edmund to bounce back against the boob, uh, that was delightful too. I mean, it was just Sasha Bublik, I just I could watch that match every day. And by the way, Jamie, I texted you before I sent it out. Sasha Bublik is Nick Kyrgios with worse press. Fifty six likes on Twitter. I'm feeling pretty good about that tweet. Yeah, it's not a bad take. I'll give it's, it to you. Yeah, not the worst take at as all. But you know, obviously, Tsitsipas Djokovic rolling that that takeaway not surprising. They look like contenders. They look like favorites. And overall, a lot of the seeds played to roll. And so it's so funny after five and a half months, all this parody, all this uncertainty. Turns out, seeds do a lot of winning at Grand Slam. That's the takeaway from day one. And that gets us to day two, Tuesday's matches again. Second half of the first round, sixty-four more for us to enjoy. It's going to be an outstanding day of play. Jamie, I have my favorite matches listed for the men and women. You want to name some of yours first? Yeah, I mean, look, there's going to be a lot of crossover just given the fact that we're probably just biased toward each other at this point because we talk about (laughs) the same things all day. But I mean, I think if you're not circling the Murray-Nishioka match, you're crazy. Um, I think there's so much potential for that one. I think Hatchinov center is also really interesting. I think Hatchinov goes in as a heavy favorite, but there's just there's a lot of entertainment value in that one, right? Because of the way that the young Italian can play and also because there's always some question mark around Hatchinov and, and this for me is a big opportunity for him to put the hammer down and really establish where he is at on the tour. I think a young American like J.J. Wolf, you also have to look out for. I think that one's going to be fun. Um, and then for me, simply because of what we saw from him in the Western Southern Open, I'm really going to be watching the Alex de Manoa match because as someone that I have a lot of faith in in his career, so thinking long-term here, I was disappointed um, from what I saw from him a bit in Cincinnati. So here is going to be really important for me, not necessarily because of his opponent, but because I want to see his level really at not its peak. Obviously, that's too much to ask, especially in a first round, but I want to see a clean win from Alex Dimenauer. No, I don't disagree with you whatsoever. I think there are a lot of really fun matches on the day on the women's side. I mean, Kleischer's Alexandrova will have me from start to finish, as will Sviatek, Kudermatova, Kenan Vickmeyer. I just want to see how Sophia Kenan's competing. I want to see how she's playing at this point after obviously not the start she wanted to kick off her twenty uh, to kick off her restart at the Western and Southern Open. Yeah, at the men's side, Murray Nishioka, I'll be locked in. Dimitrov Paul, RBA Sandgren, Sinner Hatchinov, Rude McDonald. I, it's going to be an outstanding day of tennis. And so again, you. All of you listeners can look forward uh, or know that tomorrow, I guess you can look forward. Hopefully you're looking forward to it. That would make me very happy to know that you are all looking forward to it. Uh, is We will be recapping all of tomorrow's play as well on tomorrow's mini break. Of course, 64 more first round matches. These opening rounds of the slam, always the most exciting, or at least for me, because we have so much tennis to talk about. Probably the closest Jamie ever wants to come to killing me uh, because of how much talking we have to do on these mini break podcasts. Never the last Jamie any final thoughts on day one on previewing day two before we wrap today's show just rooting for the young Americans that's all I gotta say yeah gonna it's gonna them. be a fun day of tennis lots of matches to watch it's it's so overwhelming at the beginning of these slams so but then again I also take it for granted it's so overwhelming and I'm having to flip through the channels and go back and forth and back and forth but then four days in I'm like oh wait you know where's my countless matches that I 
you know, can sift through. So it is what it is. You always got to enjoy the first few days of a slam because of just how crazy it is. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. It's you get to Thursday and you're like, huh, this is weird. I only have two tabs open. Like, why do I only have two tabs open? That doesn't feel right. And then you start watching doubles. You start watching challengers. You know, today I'm also going to have a tab open for Hyun Chung's match. I'm going to be watching it because he's competing at the challenger level. I joked with you. Let's just do the pot on his match. That's what the people want to hear. But yeah, it's just, it's such an exciting time to be a tennis fan. And of course, if you miss out on any of the action, know that you can catch up with us at Cracked Rackets by going to our website, crackrackets.com. You need the more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's at Cracked Rackets. You want to hear our picks for the day, go check out our GSP Ace of the Day podcast, of course. Also, be sure to go check out our YouTube channel where we pick those picks every day on video. You can find them on our social media again as well. You want to message me, I'm at Great Shot Pod. Uh, and I always do appreciate more and more of you sending messages. I want to hear your takes. I want to hear your picks, particularly during a time as fun as the U.S. Open. And so, of course, we're so great grateful for all of those who do take the time to interact with us who have like rate subscribe review this podcast the great shot podcast cracked interview and inside out podcasts of course shout out as always to our super producers max Fliegner and daniel westoff who have a f- of an editing job to do and you listeners won't know this but we had some technical difficulties during the uh diego schwartzman cam nori match you're not even going to know about that had i not told you because of the work our super producers do so shout out to the both of them as always again we will be back here tomorrow recapping day two's matches. Hopefully, you will join along with us. Uh, so, with that in mind, for my wonderful co host, James Foster McDonald, our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the people? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. 